Welcome, everyone, to the Literal Fiction Book Club, where we read books so you don't have to. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is Alex. Hello. Troy. What's up, everyone? And my lovely wife, Chloe. Hey, hey. You can give us your thoughts, responses, corrections, and tirades by leaving a voicemail on our Book Nerds hotline. The number is 1-978-255-3404. Um, we have a couple of voicemails in the bank right now from longtime listener and friend of the show, Chris DiLoretto, um, but we're going to wait on that because we're currently uh, um, doing all of this remote. We're so... cybering, baby. Exactly. Pay me some fucking what... tokens. <laughs> we got um, we to gotta set you up with an OnlyFans, Chloe. Um, and we can you and I have discussed that before. <laughs> Indeed, we have, yes. It just sounds um, like such a fucking to-do. Are you trying to become her pimp? <laughs> no, I mean, like, we, like, us, the podcast, set up her OnlyFans as, like, a, you know, in a business venture. You know, it's part of the literal fiction book club empire. I just don't have that entrepreneurial spirit. Like, I love taking a slutty picture, but I don't want to have to schedule it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, ugh, what's the fun? I've seen some screen caps of those, and, like, I guess they, like, message you, too, or something. Or maybe that's just why they're posted online, because they're weird messages. You have, to, so you have to, like, message the guys as well. That's fine. I'm chatty. Yeah. You gotta, like, be their girlfriend for it's a day just, or like, something they won't, like that. They won't, you, like, won't get your perverts unless you, like, generate content. And it's like, oh, my mm. God. Don't they know that I have to shave my mustache every day and some days I don't want to? They might be into that, dude. There's plenty I of mustache s- guys. There's so many niche <laughs> markets that I could really make a difference in, but I just don't have that. Make the world a better place. I'm just not a business part. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm a creative. I'm not, you know, one of Sam's the only person here with work ethic, I think. I mean, honestly, that's that's true. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Troy. I thought you were going to defend yourself. Nope. I thought you were too. Nope. Nah, hard no. No, you've never you you have not given me the vibes that you're like work, work, work is the only thing that matters. Which no, we yeah, are. That's definitely not me. We are very much of like minds, my friend. You both want to be Sutri, you know, on the banks of Knoxville, yucking it up. Yeah, I mean that that's good. That's is that a friend of yours? A little bit. I yes. Alex, I totally understand your desire or how men just like try to do as little as possible it's almost like a competition with life how little can you do and how gross can you be and still survive so i get that vibe yeah i mean the thing is like deep down like i i want to have kids and a family and a normal life but like the the abandon you know is i see the appeal yeah so Abandoning things, living remotely. Uh. I have, <laughs> I've been watching a uh, a YouTube channel called um, Cat Dog Man Van, where this bro skater dude um, wants to start a shoe company, and in order to save money, he goes and um, turns a Dodge Roadmaster into a camper van. And it has been a very enjoyable thing to watch. I, um, as a younger man and still somewhat nostalgically today, think living in a van would be sick. 
And um, so that's been cool. And I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on, no, 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 I'm not going to let myself get away with that. I said y'all, and I definitely shouldn't have. I was just going to call you out on that, dude. Next thing we I'm going to call you out on Googling that. divorce papers. Yeah. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all folks uh, in this space. Uh, Your blood is made of clam chowder. Don't use slang that makes no sense for you. No, it, it, you know, it was just, it came out wrong. But I do want to get you all's thoughts on vans you and guys. what it would be like to live in a van do you do you think it's a cool thing do you think it's um cringe what do you what what's your take i mean you i moderate this fucking discussion because i i i i don't want to degrade my friends here so well let's do a round table let's all right do that. so let's, a little organization because this is going to get I, really heated so I know that <laughs> Chloe hates the idea um, and uh, winces every time I bring it up. And I know Alex likes it, but Troy, I don't know what you think about van dwelling. It honestly depends on what kind of substances would be allowed in the van. Like, is this a summer thing? We're going to go across the West. I basically would do it for a limited amount of time. Months, but, but you wouldn't not live years. in it full time. No. Okay. No, yeah. absolutely not. Why not? Just... I don't know, man. It's not enough space. Like being quarantined right now, I'm going crazy, stir crazy just where I am. And then I imagine like driving the van and then I stop, park it sadly down by the river. And then I get in the back (laughs) and I like sleep in my patched up little blanket. No, just no, (laughs) it's not enough room. If I was doing a road trip, like on my way to something if there was an end point <laughs> i could do it but if it was just like indefinite absolutely not okay all right alex i mean i'm pro i love the idea uh it's off and on has kind of been like a dream of mine um mm. it's just kind of expensive to get to get going um honestly when i see a lot of people talking about like how they're doing it to save money i'm like kind of skeptical uh cuz i feel like just having roommates would be cheaper but um it sounds amazing. Like I love traveling. Like the idea of just being able to like be on the road uh, all the time and avoid all uh, responsibilities appealing. Yeah, I, I really I like the freedom part of it. I also like the idea that your home is always with you. You know, no matter where you are, like you always do have your your home things. And some people really do them up. I mean, you can make it somewhat affordable i mean somewhere in the realm of twenty five thousand dollar total investment like to get started that's just like an um, rv that's a that down point. payment on a RV. house yeah. that that's is a down payment on a house for a first-time mortgage buyer that's so fucking insane this is your the, the amount of money you're paying for the square inches of space like i am a I'm not a petite woman. We joke that I'm a pog. It is downright fucking <laughs> offensive for this to even be a topic of conversation because it prohibits certain measurements from enjoying their living space. And who the fuck wants to make a lifestyle out of a hobby? Ugh, next. But wait, go wait, on. Wait, wait. It's so the, affordable. Wait, so I have two, two, two comments. What's the hobby here, Chloe? And B, I totally Driving agree. around, traveling, trying to make a lifestyle out of vacation? Grow up. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, the financial aspect of it, I totally agree. It's very expensive. People, I, I don't really understand that argument. It never has really rung true to me. It's usually like rich people who get into it or like 
tech it's people, people who also have a house, tech. right? Like, what did they also have a or house? Like tech people who can stay with their parents for eight months and build up their van. I've watched a lot of these YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it definitely leans towards the kind of uh, black sheep of an upper middle class family. Yeah. Um, but I would say, though, that like if you like, I mean, obviously a van is a depreciating asset, right? But like um, eventually that loan is paid off, unlike rent. And unless you're going to buy a house, which a lot of the people who do um, the van dwelling are not those types of people who want to be like tied to a place for, you know, many years to come. Um, you're tied to the van. That, yeah. You're tied to the van, but you're, not tied to, but you're not tied to a particular place. You can take yeah. that van wherever you want. I mean, that's the appeal. And right? you can sell, sell the van. But I mean, the thing is, is like, I don't know. I mean, my rent is like $6,000 a year. Like you'd only start saving money after like five years of rent. But you don't need a car either. You have your van. Um, yeah, I don't know if you'd want to drive your home everywhere, though. The gas mileage in those things is terrible. I'm. I not- mean, if you get a diesel version, it's like in the you know, it's in the like low low twenties, like twenty to twenty three, right? Like it's not. I mean, the 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 you know, if you go like whole hog, you know, and you try to get like a school bus or something, like yeah, you're kind of fucked. But if you get one of those Mercedes Sprinters or the Dodge Roadmasters, right, like. You can stand up in them. It's eight foot tall, you know, and um, and yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the worst gas mile, just not great. But like, like I said, between the savings on the car and um, and you know, rent. I mean, Alex, you live in a shack with no running water, no electricity, <laughs> dirt floor. Like, you know, yeah, of course, it's cheaper to live that way. You live like an animal. Um, Dude, you live like Ted Kaczynski. I watched the fucking documentary. His his shack looks like your shack. Like, it's the no, same place. No. no, dude, it's uncanny. I have a PS4. I had a different more. color palette. I'm just talking. I'm just talking about the view from outside. Walking by Ted Kaczynski's crib and walking by Alex's crib, you go, "Oh, those are guys that you know. They're of like style. Those guys chop wood. Those guys yeah. chop wood. I do chop wood. chop wood. But then you come into my house and you say, "Oh wow, a uh, a a charming young professional lives here." And then I'm like, <laughs> but then I'm like, why is there a hatchet in your bed? And also, what's that jug for? So, Which hatchet are we talking about? His bed hatchet. You know, yeah. na- nowadays it's just got a gun on you instead of a hatchet. Uh, because we're in pandemic times. I love, keep off all like the looters. I love that you're just strapped at all times alone in your home. I mean, I take it with me when I leave. Oh, God. Uh, Have you gone out into like public public with your gun? Yeah. Like to the bookstore? Like to a federal building? I don't go to bookstores anymore. I don't go. Oh, right, because we're currently. I don't go anywhere. Uh, I went to BJ's today, but I, I left it in the car. Sam wants to go too, to... but I told him to wash his dick. Haha, nice. Hey, good one. Um, yeah, I used to carry a gun with me when I was a delivery driver. That was a thing. I thought it was smart at the time. It is smart. That's, oh, oh, I yeah, like, that's did, pretty smart, honestly. Did you carry it with a round chambered or with an empty chamber? Um, I carried it with uh, an empty chamber. Yeah, that's what I do too. Because I apparently, according to the forums, am a pussy. Because you yeah, don't want to well, go. I mean, you don't want to have a manslaughter charge on your record. Like I don't know. That seems decently smart to me. You pull it out, and like most people would back up. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it's. 
it's more of a question of like me hurting myself for some reason, right? If the round is in the chamber, it's so much more likely that somehow I grab it, you know, it's not like dropping a gun is, it's almost never going to go off, but like the safer, the better is kind of my mentality. Yeah, that's that. my mentality too. And like, like on videos or, you know, just online, people are like, oh, you're losing like a second. Uh, in every every action time. Yeah. And every second counts. Cause you just got to, I don't know. Yeah, but you're not a cop, dude. It's not like somebody's charging at you. That's what I, see. That's what I am saying. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but if, if somebody might like those... be charging at you, just like put one in the chamber. Like, if you're going to be in a situation where like somebody on drugs might be charging at you, you know, just prepare. What situation like, is that? I don't yeah. know. I don't carry a gun around with me, so not yet. No, you just, you know, you're you're walking down the, you know, your road, picking up trash, and then, you know, well. some thug just comes out <laughs> of the bushes, you know, and starts approaching you, and he's all messed up, and then, you know, there's Alex or Ted Kaczynski, we're not sure who, and, he, you know, he, he puts one into the chamber, and, um, you know, d- down goes, down goes the guy. That's the situation, Chloe. I mean, that's kind of a New Hampshire situation. Sorry, I've been playing Neopets while you talk about guns and vans. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying. Like, beg me question. to be on this podcast, and it's like, what is this? But now we're we're talking about it's like the Ted bro. Kaczynski. It's the bro zone. The, what, the bro zone. We, what What do you want to talk about? The homeless Chloe? dudes carrying guns. What's the clothes zone? I don't know. Tell us about the clothes zone. Yeah, what's going on in Clotown? What's going on with What's Neopets? Tell me about Doctor Pepperoni. He's my. <laughs> That's the name of my current Neopet. Oh, Dr. Underscore Pepperoni. My account name is Cool Blue 1993. Neo Melmi. Huh? Cool Blue. What's that in reference? My, that's to? my favorite Gatorade flavor. I'm currently drinking it. Mine is Gator- is a uh, cucumber. Oh, oh, that's one of the best ones too. Ugh. But that shit is so good. It's downright the refreshing. You know. Yeah. I love yeah, Sam shit. and I bought like a six pack of Cool Blue Gatorades. <laughs> Love that. I got dude. dibs on the last one. I need my electrolytes. We never get Gatorade. They're so ever. good. But now that we're in quarantine, all we want to do is get like you know, electrolytes, I don't know, indulgent, indulgent treats from the grocery store. Oh, I just want yo, I want market too. basket cookies. Mm. I I bought a huge bag of uh, candy today. Like fuck yeah, individually dude. wrapped, like Reese's and Hershey. I just yeah, it's junk food season. It really is. We're, I'm going to come out of this quarantine looking like true garbage, but it's worth it. I've lost 18 pounds. Jeez. You've lost 18 Christ. pounds? Yeah, that's more It's all of... that heroin you're doing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> more because of the pain I'm in, but I'm just going to say it's because of the quarantine. <laughs> dude, that's what I said. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. You're, you're whole, whole, you can just say that you're like experiencing growth through suffering or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. Although I'm totally down to ball out on, um, what are we going to get? Chinese food, yep. get drunk on Chinese, knock off liquor, yep. eat some bat, you know, good times. Dude, yeah, I want to mainline some bat carcass with you boys. Let's just go in. No, did you not read? <laughs> did you not read China outlawed eating animals in Wuhan? Bitch, you uh, know I don't read. Not animal. I thought it was dogs and cats. Yeah, yeah. Well, who am I kidding? Just dogs and cats. We're not talking about all animals. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Shenzhen was like, oh, we're probably done with this. <laughs> probably. Just cook your bats, people. That's all we ask. Yeah. 
Dude, uh, do you guys see that Tucker was uh, straight up saying that uh, the virus was engineered in a government lab? Oh, Jesus Christ. One of my professors. Which government, though? China. One of my professors was saying stuff. So we have like um, online classes now. And for most of my classes, that means my teachers basically aren't doing their job. They're just posting assignments and giving me one word responses. But one of them is doing Zoom calls. And she said uh, the um, like last week or whatever, like the first one after spring break, she was saying that like she was just so mad that she had to stay inside and how she doesn't think this is real and how she thinks that there's something in it for someone. And my whole class was just like, for sure. Because it was just this like, 60 year old lady just like really um had a conspiracy theory about how shutting down businesses was good for somebody it was surreal it was surreal i i'm gonna be honest i do think that the mainstream media is uh, has been catastrophizing uh pretty consistently on this and obviously they've walked back a lot of stuff but i don't even think it's a conspiracy i think they just want views I mean, I definitely think there's like a huge amount of anti-Trumpism in this and like any yeah. way in which they can make him look bad, they will. I mean, remember they're leading with like, oh, we'll see 2 million deaths. Like, and yesterday right. CNN was walking it down to 100,000, which 100,000 is scary, but it's uh, maybe 20,000 more than a bad flu season. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's not like the issue is the amount of deaths in a certain time period. Exactly. Right? Like it. That you know, and this is the insane thing with everybody's psychological reaction to all of this is like we're not quarantined because we're gonna die if we get the disease. We're not quarantined because this particular disease, you are asymptomatic for two weeks, you have an incubation period of two weeks, and you are still contagious a week after you you're done processing like being sick from the disease. So you're gonna spread it. Um, and you might give it to someone who would be in trouble for yeah. it, but like um, I'm very like, especially with a lot of these like liberal types who think that the economy, like people going back to work is only good for the stock market. You know, I really don't get that line of reasoning. Yeah, that's insane. I think I honestly think the quarantine sucks dick, but like, I'd rather do it now and maybe save some people than have to do it later and have a bunch of dead grandmas, like more dead grandmas yeah. than, nece- than necessary. I don't mind. I mean, it, it sucks. Fine. It, it just it, sucks. It's yeah. But, no, I, I'm, I don't think they're doing the wrong thing. I think this is probably the sensible thing to do. But uh, it's just sad. Like my mom watches CNN all day, and I was talking to her yesterday, and she's convinced that every single person over sixty who gets it dies, and that everyone Jesus who, Christ, and she's convinced that everyone who gets pneumonia has to be intubated. And I told her, you know, the survival rate for people who are intubated is is like fifteen percent. Like it's not. That's for like you know deathly ill people but she just right. watches cnn all day and she at this point yeah is, that's sad it's really i don't know it really upset me honestly no uh, the the like liberal fear mongering about this disease is wild considering how like you know you watch snl or the daily show or any of these things they always mocked the fear mongering of um conservatives but it's like yeah you know we're just flip-flopping and whatever i'm playing neopets like yeah. whatever it sucks it's yeah well the jobless claims are the unemployment claims are fucking nuts right now yeah I know, 65 million 6.5 million a girl in a girl in my stars. class was trying for three hours today to file her claim because yeah. she lost her job so yeah everyone's saying oh this is way more than the great depression stuff which is totally true but like this is these aren't all 
unemployment claims that are people who are permanently unemployed. Like a lot of no. people are get their jobs back at the end yeah. of this. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so hopefully, I think- it's like small employers. Who knows if they're going to come back? But there will be no, like, true, true. You know, I think it'll be okay. But it's the small restaurants. It's the small. It's the small stores. It's it's yeah. places. It's the shoestring places that like. It's your favorite places in town that are going to go, which is what hurts the most. It's rest. Right. But I feel like those those places are going not like those specific institutions, but those things will be filled up. Like there's going to be some somebody else with money who's going to start a restaurant. I don't know, though, because like after 08, I remember it was like six years to all the storefronts downtown were filled. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. But, but, but it did, though. Like Sam saying it will. Yeah, yeah. And it in just like sucks. five or and six it, years. That's not. Yeah, that's not tomorrow. It'll be that long no. though. And it just sucks to think that like something that is n- no one's fault. Not even the dude who ate the bat. He didn't know. Something that can be no one's fault is just so debilitating. And you could be doing most of everything right. You could yeah. have decent savings and still not be able to come back from this because you'd have to have great savings. Like I don't know, just a that's bummer. True. I mean, it really depends on how I think it depends both on the federal and state level, how these problems are dealt with, right? You know, like, for instance, I know in New York, they suspended um, commercial and personal mortgage payments, you know? So, like, a lot of these these small businesses might come out okay, depending on what the policies of their government has been, right? Because if they laid off all of their workers and they don't have to, you know, pay their mortgage payment in that time period, then they might be okay. Um, mm. But we'll you know, see. What needs to happen you know? is they need to release all of the people that are wrongfully incarcerated since like 80% of them don't need to be in prison. But cause they're all going to get it and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> and they're like... Didn't somebody re- release... Wasn't there a thing about that? New York releasing all of their what, non... But I, I don't think like they're... What was that? From their jail? Not from their prison? Yeah, it was like right. a local thing but jails across the country like 15 states have shut down where they can't speak to their lawyers anymore (laughs) it's like oh good times good times good times i mean they're saying the the most concentrated uh outbreak in the world was rikers Mm. that doesn't surprise me i believe it i believe it god damn somehow we got back to coronavirus i didn't want to go there i know this is supposed to be an yeah it's the only thing what else is happening well um other things that are no nothing else is happening seriously dude i've been only thing i've been doing i've i've been i'm almost done with my book on the um the uh, on iraq under saddam republic of fear it's quite good the last couple chapters as i told chloe they're real bangers um have you watched house of saddam yet I haven't, but I'm going to as soon as I finish this. I wanted to get kind of a little bit more of an orientation to the regime before I watch the the, uh, the series. That's fair. Um, that's fair. The episodes jump quite a lot, so it's like episodic of the major periods of his life. Yeah, and it's just it like especially with like any Middle Eastern history, you know, post like I don't know 1920, right? It's like there's so many coups. And there's so many different changes of leadership. It is important to maintain, be oriented to what's going on to when, right? Um, in America, you can pretty much trust, you know, more or less what the, you know, who the president was at the particular time. And that gives you some sort of, you know, guiding star um, to figure things out. But the Middle East, not so much. And um, 
this writer, Kanamakia, he definitely was a former Trotskyist. I don't know it for sure, but he's quoting Lenin and Trotsky and um, Isaac Deutscher, who is a, um, a Polish Marxist who did a lot of um, uh, analysis on Stalinism. Um, but very, very like thoughtful, insightful, liberal-minded guy, um, really enjoying enjoying the book a lot. Um, and uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't pull any punches about bathism. I think he does a good job of not both like falling in the, oh, it's just like a representation of totalitarianism and therefore bad. And then um, he also doesn't do this weird thing that some leftists do where they'll just say, well, if you look at the Baathist program of, you know, 1943 or whatever, you can see that they support democracy. And so therefore, you know, that was what they believed, which is if you engage with the ideologues of the group, clearly not the point. Um, so that's going on in my life, Alex. Um, coronavirus has not consumed my mind. <laughs> that's great, man. Bathism has. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know what. Into Middle Eastern politics. That's what we need to get into, really. Uh, I'm going to start the American Bathist Party. Do it all over again. Uh, going to celebrate Saddam's birthday. Here we go. I'm going to get, I want to get like no, a. You're not. You um, hate him, dude. I mean, I do, but it's um, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. Woo! Ooh, fucking joke. That's great. Um, All right, we ready for the book, boys? I'm ready for the book. Yeah. See you, Chloe. Bye, Chloe. Hate it. All right. So we, this week, have read... Um, hold on a sec. Let me actually get my, my little intro script ready to go here. All right. So, this week, we have read the first half of Planet for Rent. We are continuing our foreign sci-fi unit. Um, as I said before, the book is called Planet for Rent by Yoss. Um, Planet for Rent is, is a set of vignettes taking place in a universe where Earth has made contact with a federation of aliens that turned the planet into a tourist park. Yoss's gritty and playful prose shows the depravity of survival for the oppressed humans of Earth. They sell their bodies as social workers to the Xenoids, a word for the collection of all aliens, travel the galaxy as freak show artists, and muscle each other out for jobs in planetary security. We are introduced to many forms of extraterrestrial life, the armored Colossar, the ooze-like Alderbon, the feline Setian, and the secretive Oyers, and many more. All intelligent life has its own personality and agenda, but they all take great pleasure in their domination of mankind. While Yasa's world is somewhat exaggerated, borderline comic, the accessibility of his writing is neither crude nor clunky. His social commentary harmonizes well with his over-the-top imagination. We get an artist named Moy who mutilates himself on stage only to be cloned later, and Earth's desperate attempt for dignity when Team Earth plays against a squad of xenoids in the brutal intergalactic game of Voxel. In an interview, he made mention of trying to speak to both his immediate experience in Cuba without sacrificing the universal categories of humanity. It may not be a perfect book, but he's made as good attempt as I've seen to square that circle. Yas is the pen name for Jose Gabriel Sanchez, probably the coolest guy to have ever lived. He squats in a netted tank top. His mother says his three vices are, quote, books, women, and ice cream, end quote. And he's the lead singer for a Cuban heavy metal band. 
He resides in Havana, but travels often to Europe. His books are fairly popular in both Spain and Germany. And you can find his book in English through Restless Books, a publisher in New York, which we will leave a link for in the description. So that's the intro. And I just want to start off at the beginning, how things should start. And um, I want, I felt very, um, I felt different about the whole reading than I did about the first story. So I want to get your impression of the first story. What did you guys think of it? Are you talking about like the first pairing? Because there's always seems to be a little short vignette that's only two to three pages. And then we get like the actual story that's 25 to 30 normally. I'm talking about the first, the first vignette, the planet for rent. I felt the two page one carnival yeah. to me. It was like a carnival ad. I don't know why. I just couldn't get that image out of my mind. It was like, step right up, come and buy this planet. And it was mm. kind of like more whimsical. And then it's like, all right, we're going to talk about sex slavery. And I was like, oh, damn. Okay. Alex? Sorry, I had to like revisit it to remember which one is that. Um, yeah, that's like where he's like, you know, yeah, come on, step page. right up. We're going to. Yeah. I was thinking of the social worker, this next one. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, I thought it was like an, it really kind of sets the tone for the book in a sense. And it kind of reminds me of the way it's written really flows like very well, um, kind of in like a similar like nonstop pace as the last short story we read uh, mm -hmm. about the cops um, that kind of like running. Is that a monologue or running monologue? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just like, I was kind of like impressed right off the bat. And it reminded me a lot of, I don't know why, but of, uh, do you guys listen to Tom Waits at all? No. I don't know who that is. All right. I won't even make the comparison. So it reminds you of Tom Waits, the great Tom Waits. No, it's just like a song at the beginning of one of his albums that's like called, I don't remember, it might be called Step Right Up. I don't remember what it's called, but it's got like the same vibe, just going off of all these things that are for sale and all the things you can buy. Uh, oh, okay. And it, I think but, I vaguely remember that song. He, but he's pretending to be like a carnival barker in the song. Oh, um, uh, okay. I don't know. Carnival yeah, barker. I, I didn't realize they were called barkers. That's yeah. fitting. I, th I think you would uh, know what I'm talking about if you knew the song. But we can just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did my best. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so I mean, I actually like did not like the first story. I was pretty... I was like, oh god, okay, so is this gonna be a, you know, is this gonna be a book about saving the planet? You know, is this gonna be a book about, um, you know, losing your soul for profit or some other derivative, you know, that does come lane. up in a different story. It it does, but you know, and that that is a theme, but it it's delivered differently than I expected. I definitely was like okay, here's, you know, someone who has, like, a moral axe to grind with the world and is going to do it in, like, a very, like, heavy-handed way. Um, but the rest of the book did not disappoint. Um, so then I want to shift to kind of the, a little bit more of a general question. Um, this book is made up of many different stories, and I wanted to ask both of you what your favorite story thus far was. Um, so let's start with you, Troy. I don't know. I agree that the first one was the weakest. It has some interesting points in it, or not points, but just like it brings up some interesting hooks for the world. And I kind of felt that going in. I was like, all right, this is the setup story, or there's a lot of this which is just introducing it. I appreciated the first story more later because 
literally all of the characters come back and that's great because it's like a little reward for paying attention like in mm. uh, what's the girl's name in the very first story she gets chosen buka yeah buka gets chosen by one of the bug aliens and like she's just happy she's gonna wear xenoid dresses but then she's mm. going to die after the bug like impregnates her with his sticker and then the little bugs eat her to death and i was like oh god but she was happy about that so it was like it was dark but then yeah there's a lot of like exposition just to get it started and set up so i thought that one was mm-hmm. the weakest i think i don't know they're just also different too because i was looking back trying to see if he writes in a similar style but he doesn't like some of them are uh close third person some of them are first person interactive like the sports story you get to hear other people's voices and then the story Mm. that's about the guard it's just a monologue like you assume that there's responses because the character reacts to somebody but you don't hear it and you don't see it and then that makes sense why he chooses to do that at the end of the story um Mm. honestly i don't know i think both of the death artist and then also the sports story were like crushing at the end. So I think those ones are the best because they have the most emotional punch to them. And also throughout the whole book, I like just love how dreary it is. And it's like terrible in a way that only people who live ha- have lived in a communist country can truly appreciate. Like I've read a couple other things and it's like, just basically you want to kill yourself there's no point somebody's always listening there's no freedom it's like oh god it's so dark and it's like i feel Mm. like western stuff cannot compare but anyway um i don't know i'm kind of torn between the sports story and the one about the guard because both of those were really good fuck yeah alex yeah i'd say probably the one about the cop um i liked i thought that was probably the writing was just like just so so the story was just like so well constructed in the way that it just like flowed. Like it just like happened. I don't know. It just, there was like no break in the momentum. Um, till the end. And then the end. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I really liked that a lot. Um, that, that deflated me quite a bit. The ending of that story. Did y'all not when see it was that? just like, turned off the TV. I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. Did yeah. y'all not see that though? I felt like halfway through, I was like, he's just dumping way too much information. Like somebody's listening. I didn't no, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with the sports story, right? Like, I know Team Earth is going to lose, yeah. right? But I really don't want them to, you know? I know this guy, and then even though he gets off, like, at the end, right, that fucking ooze man, I forget which race that is. He's the bug, um, one of the bugs. Yeah, right. Um, the Yeah, I forget which one that is. But, um, you know, he lets him off the hook because whatever, it was entertaining the way he spoke. Yeah, because he thought um, he made a guard guy. for <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, but still, when the TV turned off, I was like, ah, oh, damn, you know, nobody gets away with anything. Um, I personally liked the uh, performing death and champions, the like, um, as you said, Troy, the, the sports one and the artist. Um, the sports one was particularly interesting because I, um, I don't really, I, I enjoy watching sports, but I don't really read about sports very often. And I... I felt like I was, you know, I'm, I'm from New England and I grew up, a, you know, in a Patriots household. So we've been watching the Patriots all this time. It's been pretty good for us. Um, but, 
you know, I, I felt like I was watching a Patriots playoff game when I was reading this book, right? I was like, yeah, you know, like team, you know, team earth, right? Like the way they described their, you know, these like this, that the blonde um, Hulk or whatever, the blonde beast, um, the, the defensive back for team earth, you know, this like 400 pound, like monster of a man, um, you know, this, just like these dudes, like ready to go, ready to win the dignity of earth back. And um, I thought that Yoss did such a good job of um, describing the, describing the motion of a game right um because there's a lot of action that happens in in sport and it's it's difficult to capture in a way that isn't too descriptive but like also doesn't leave out what's happening um and i really got a good sense of of how the game was played and then how the teams were reacting to one another yeah i felt the game Um, was cool like is a mm -hmm. unique way of like making a sport it would actually be entertaining to play if it existed yeah and i had the proper like balance between um between like science fiction like the imagination of a game and then that game also existing and having some risk associated with it uh so i i like that a lot and then of course at the end when our protagonist danny is offered a a spot in the league right and um you know basically all of his, you know, patriot or not patriotic, but like solidarity statements towards humans, um, kind of falls moot when he's offered his half a million credits a year to, to play for um, a uh, an alien voxel team. Um, I thought that you know, was so a, realistic kind of a letdown. that he's like it is really jiving for Earth and humans, and he's so proud to be human. But then at the end, once he gets the um, once he gets the offer, it's like the older guy who's their substitute, and then their coach, who was the first captain of Team Earth, he like basically just disregards them. He's like, "Your 15 minutes of fame is over." And then the last line is what really got me. I was like, "Oh God," because he said that he's like, "Oh, my mom would be so proud of me. I know it." But his mom was like part of the Xenoid Liberation Group, so she definitely would not mm. have been proud of him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And um and then the artist one was that's that's the story that really got my attention, right? Now I'm like, okay, this this is a you know, this is good, right? Where he gets up and um he has that colossar who is like keeping his body alive while he's mutilating himself and he's like flying through the air and his lungs are expanding and his teeth well, his teeth didn't shoot out. He said he wanted to have them shoot out. Um, but, like, he's going on this rant about art, and just his, like, limbs are exploding everywhere, and the crowd of aliens is, like, going wild at this, like, barbaric spectacle. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And then, of course, at the end with um, uh, the Oyer uh, representative who says, well, you have to do this three times a week, and then we'll pay you X amount of um space credits and uh that that seems kind of like a letdown although i did find his relationship with the colossar somewhat interesting it wasn't as estranged as the other relationships between humans and aliens yeah i thought they had the most fleshed out relationship of a xenoid and a human Mm. at least so far in the book you do mention Mm. or i see here in the notes in every story joe or jow however you say it comes up and he's like mm. the one thread that has gone through all the stories. And I love that. Like, that's just such a nice way to tie it all together. 
everybody somehow knows this artist Zhao, Joe. And I really wonder, I think he's probably going to be the protagonist of the last story. That's my prediction. It's a good guess. It's a good guess. Alex, what do you think? Who? What do you think Zhao's significance is as a character for Yas? Not maybe for the book, but for Yas. I'm not sure yet. I don't know. Do you think that that Zhao represents the author himself in the book? I think he's I mean, a noble human. Yeah, he's he, a true he, artist. He could join yeah. the androids, but then he decides not to. He gives up. I forget what he gives up. He gives up something for Buka in the beginning, and she loved him. So he's like the noble one. But then mm. it's like she didn't love him that much, right? She she seems to. She, I don't know how she describes it in that first story, but she kind of talks about being okay after saying goodbye to him and feeling like he cared more. And then the cop also brings that up saying that she seemed like she was faking it. Mm. Right. Yeah. While he was like weeping and crying and saying goodbye. Um, I loved the difference between her take on the cop versus when we get the cop story. Like I got very heavy vibes just from her description as a woman of like, he's, going to rape me like he's going to take me back and abuse his power and like force me and then when you get to the cop story he's just like a chummy cop <laughs> it was yeah, just, just a regular just, guy it was jarring to me that well but, but it mean, he talks about how he fucks the women takes advantage of women all the time though yeah, yeah oh yeah for he's sure. totally down with corruption that's like a good third of the story he's like giving the guy the ropes on how to be corrupt right right you know and um, yeah, I mean, I think Zhao is going to take up the role of what Yas thinks an artist should be or what an artist is. I mean, it's so clearly a commentary. I mean, he admits that it's a commentary on Cuban society, right? Like his experience, um, you know, I think he's in his mid to late 30s. Um, and so his experience as a kid is during the the in Cuba after the fall of the Soviet Union. So then the Cuba loses its kind of largest trading partner and there's a, a time of great um, scarcity. And so uh, I think Zhao is going to represent, you know, well, what happens, you know, what, what happens to an artist who like holds on to the faith, right. And doesn't sell out, doesn't, you know, become a, one of somebody part of the tourist industry doesn't just like go along with the commercial circuit, but actually kind of creates art for its own sake. Um, what does, what happens to him? And thus far we have at least the story of, um, you know, lots of reverence for Zhao, um, uh, thoughts that he is, you know, more noble than other people. But we also now know that um, the Yakuza and the mafia plays a kind of like looming role in this book. Um, they, they, tattletailed on him or whatever and so now he's going part of the body spare program which is the punishment system that the xenoids have inflicted on humans which basically means that um aliens can like possess your body um for a certain period of time so it's like you're in jail and then uh about 40 percent of the time of you being body spared you are conscious so you can see and experience your body but um, so you can't control it Oh, gives me the creepy heebie-jeebies, the creepy-jeebies. For real, though. That sounds so awful, especially when you know that they say especially the IRs do not care about them, 
and they call them horses when they're inside a human body and they'll like purposely Ugh. ruin a human body just to see what it does or what it feels like it's like oh oh god it's so gross also i think what i was trying I would... to say earlier with um the despair of only people that have lived in communist countries is just breaking of your spirit like everything mm. hints at your spirit is just totally broken one way or another maybe it's money maybe it's sex maybe it's surveillance but like everybody's just so broken and the system is so broken like all the way through do you think it's it's about communist countries or it's about uh colonized countries i got more of an impression that he was talking about countries that have been colonial subjects like i got like vibes that he was talking about like south america or maybe um india or like south africa you know mm. in the way that the indigenous populations were treated there i don't i mean well maybe I, that okay, way. sorry i was gonna say maybe yeah. it has something to do with colonialism i don't think it's necessarily because of communism or marxism or any leftist ideology it's just where that takes over it normally devolves into authoritarianism which is what breaks the human spirit like China, they're not communist, but they're authoritarian. So I would China's count right. the same China's group. origin is ostensibly communist. Ostensibly. I mean, the, revo- the revolution was left wing, at least. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it has really anything to do with ideology. It's just it devolves into complete control, surveillance, abuse. Mm. And it's just. Right. Yeah. Hollows, hollows out the human soul. Yeah. It's just the complete domination of society by the state. Which is a gross thing. It is. It's pretty bad. Although, you know, and Alex, I definitely read it this way as I was reading it. But then I started reading interviews like of the author. And he has that really like 15 minute interview doc about him. Um, And he's pretty explicit about it being about Cuba. Right. Oh, yeah. He can't even get his book published in Cuba right now. Yeah, that blew my mind. Planet for Rent cannot be published in Cuba because it's so obviously a commentary on Cuban society. So, um, like, even the idea of of Earth being a tourist destination, right? Like, that's the big thing happening in Cuba, is that the whole economy, like, growth of the economy is predicated on the expansion of the tourist industry. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, I, you know, Yoss doesn't seem like a a simpleton right and he is he is engaging with the history of colonialism and and dealing with more universal topics than just you know what it was like in cuba in the 90s but i do think that um this this you know you can even see like think about like the voxel game right like what would be more important to to cuban society than you know beating france or germany in a soccer match right Right, okay. yeah. You know, the idea of like you being this outsider nation that is like constantly being picked on and then being able to to at least meet them, beat them in a in you know, a game if you can't do it economically or politically. And all the aliens coming in and maybe not the body spare stuff, but also the vibe of it just being a zoo where they're not guests coming in. They're coming to view you as a lesser being. Like I can't mm. imagine being destitute Cuban living under the Castros forever. And then all of a sudden there's rich Europeans showing up and like, Oh wow, look at their quaint cars and clothes while you still have zero rights. Like mm. how patronizing that is. 
Yeah, and the only economic opportunity is to go figure out ways to serve those people. Yeah, you got to suck it up. There's no other way. Like... To be a social worker, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, is there a big sex work industry in Cuba for tourists? I guess. Oh, I hundred. I guarantee you. I mean, obviously, uh, like I said, Yoss was explicit about this, and he said that you know one of the like social workers are based off of real. That's a real Cuban experience. So mm-hmm. I assume so. Uh, I should have the poverty though. Like anywhere there's poverty, there's so much prostitution. Like so many people are desperate and turning to it. True. True. Yeah, and, and, and it's not even just desperateness, right? Like, I think this comes out in the book is that it's not just like a way to survive. It's a way to thrive, right? Mm-hmm. You can make a lot of money as a prostitute. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you're pretty, you can do it. Do y'all have a favorite alien group? Or a <laughs> of course you'd like the Colossus, you fucking simp. In their armor. <laughs> but yeah, right. They're like weird tentacle penises things that guy when moy the artist guy was like yeah so my i forget what the colossus's name was but like he like you know i don't know rubs me with his tentacles and that seems to be okay i don't feel raped like i was like okay yeah he has to pet his uh shell as well and he's like i guess this gets him off but it just feels like petting dog to me <laughs> i like that part as well yeah, et tu brute. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, Jesus Christ! Like, what a what a reference, et tu brute. Right? Yeah, that was the that was the Colossus' name. I thought that was uh, strange. Um, all right, so let's see here. Um, all right, so one of the things we haven't talked about. Oh, this is an important topic. All right, so sex. Like, uh-huh. this is a huge part of this story. Is like. Um, dealing with sex it's never everything is kind of explained in bro talk right so we normally get well i wouldn't say completely that but we get kind of the memories of people being um, abused to social workers or um, the the braggadocio of different um, male characters about how much sex they've had the different ways they've had sex the kinds of aliens they've had sex with like those kinds of things so do we think um yas did a good job of of you know introducing sex into his world um and then what do we think sexual culture is like on earth in the time of planet for rent alex you go first uh it, it doesn't seem to be portrayed positively like even the guys who are talking about like the sex they've had usually like they're having sex because of kind of like not great reasons like they're mani- mm. they're manipulating people or it's in payment for something or it's in return for protection uh or there's an element of coercion there so like it's definitely portrayed as like an essential and obvious yeah, part of human existence but uh it the the way the sexual exchange like the marketplace or whatever is is not not really like viewed like in a way that's mutually pleasurable Mm. yeah i definitely get the sense that sex is not a purely positive thing for um for yas i i'm interested because like it sounds like he's kind of uh i like you know not maybe not like a ladies man per se but like he you know all of the he's latin all of he smashes for sure (laughs) 
Yeah, dude, this guy fucks. I don't know how, but like he has, he looks like a, I don't know, like um, a more like a above averagely attractive, you know, um, head banging metalhead. Um, and he, you know, like I said, his mom says one of his vices is women. Um, so he clearly smashes because his mom knows he smashes. Um, but I'm, you know, it on one level it feels like the sex it like sex is bad in this world but it also feels um indulgent right like um the world that planet for rent takes up is hedonistic in kind of the most um reductive sense it like it everything is only about pleasure and then even the pain that humans feel is related to the pleasure that the aliens are getting from uh abusing them you know i feel like the sex is pretty debased but i feel like Mm. whenever jow comes up in his story it's probably gonna be he'll probably actually you know have like passionate love making but for everybody else it's just like it's a commodity Mm. which well we did have that didn't we have that story in um the performing death um i'm trying to see here what He's was that with a um a mystique uh, um, like a, yeah the half alien half human right know, like um, beautiful beings that don't have genitals but chondria are, a centaurian yeah. mestizo who centaurians are the um they are the, the blue-skinned humanoid types right yeah continue though sorry Oh, I mean, I feel like he wants to get with her. He has, like, longing to be with her. But I can't tell if in the death artist story it's just lust for him. But on it, obviously he's, like, clinging to the hope of it. Because once she leaves, then he's like, ah, what does it matter if I kill myself two, three times a week and just get cloned? Like, I have nothing to live for. Like, that was literally the only thing he was holding out for. And then, yeah, it is very transactional or it's about power, like, sex is the only thing that all aliens are interested in humans for and i feel like that's just another part of the disillusionment of you have nothing to offer you are lesser than us but we'd still bang you and it's just like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and there's like an element of like all of these people do these kind of fucked up things to get ahead and get out and get money you know whether it's the risk of dying because they've been impregnated or leaving earth to play voxel or exploding themselves mm. on stage. But in the end, like, you know, the trade-off doesn't seem that good for any of them. Mm. Like that seems to be like the recurring theme, even the cop who's corrupt, like, well, actually it works out pretty good for him, but I don't think the point is that it's worth it. But it's also not, not worth it. Right, like staying also sucks. I know you're you're like fucked either way, but like you're not quite really getting ahead like you want to be. Kind of is the right getting. Uh, you get ahead in the sense that you have things now, right? But you don't have belonging. You don't have community. Yeah. In fact, you're you're a traitor to your community by escaping. You're losing your fellow Earthlings. Right. Well, and you're better than Earthlings, but even if you do sell your body or sell your talent to play Voxel, it's still like you're just better than the other slaves who are worth nothing. All the aliens still think you're trash. Like, nothing has changed. 
Right. And you don't even get the Mestizo girl. Right? Yeah, it sucks. Goddamn. You know, all we want is a little bit, you know, a mulatto, right? You know, that can't even get that. Not in this world. Nope. <laughs> yeah, you can't possibly get that in this world. I, li- nope. I like the uh, all throughout sci-fi, how there's just a thing for people wanting to bang blue-skinned aliens. <laughs> That's like multiple different sci-fi worlds. That's always the thing. Is there's always Why blue hot... skin? I don't know. I don't know, man. But the hot aliens always have blue skin. I've never understood that shit. I've never wanted to bang a different species than myself. Oh, okay. What do you think? You're better than all of us? Well, you guys want to bang say, you, you get into some crazy stuff, Alex. But no, no, no. This is too lowbrow for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not trying to fuck animals. We're trying to fuck aliens. But it aliens looks animals. like animals. <laughs> aliens is animals. Animals are not aliens. A- aliens are animals. No, they're not. Why would they be animals? Because everything is, is an animal, right? Okay, so you like fucking animals because you fuck your girlfriend. Right. Whoo, shots fired. All right. <laughs> Got me. Yeah, dude. You're a, you're, that everything is bestiality. We should accept bestiality. Let's make that the podcast. Bestiality acceptance. Can we get back to uh, the book yeah we sure can all right so i want to i have kind of like i had to rush to make my discussion questions here we've run through them a little bit but i wanted to ask maybe a little bit more of a thematic question so um we've gotten a little bit of taste of what you know yasa's writing style is like and what kind of story he wants to tell so um what do you think motivates yas to write the book and what do you think his what do you think he sees the point of art is like why why make anything? The artist seems to take up a huge space in his book, so I think he's trying to find a a way in which to conceptualize what an artist is. So, what do you guys think of that? I think he's trying to point out hypocrisy and kind of like lay mm-hmm. bare like the contradictions of society. I think that's kind of like mm-hmm. what what he's trying to do. I don't know what which he's trying to say about art, but yeah, I agree with you, Alex. Um, what was that, Sam? Which contradictions? Like, what what is he trying to bring to bear? Well, I guess, like, what we were just talking about. Like, this idea that, like, even when people try to get ahead, like, it's not quite a win. Um, be- right. You know what I mean? Because either they are uh, losing some essential aspect of their lives, which could be, like, community with, like, you know, their neighbors, their people. Mm-hmm. Or uh, even some element of, like, self self-respect or something i i don't know i don't know quite how to describe it but like i i got a vibe that there's an element of like uh losing yourself some Mm. you know somehow uh and i don't quite know how to describe that or really put it into words but like uh and it's beyond like it's not dignity it's beyond that it's like something true to you to your own self i think like there's no escape yeah yeah there's definitely no escape for any of these characters Sure. I don't know what he's trying to say about art, but I totally agree with you, Alex, that like in or with the characters from their point of view, it's how nothing that they actually do matters and they don't get ahead. But even in the stories, they're still happy, though. Like the death artist is still making 10 times more money than he ever did, but he's also depressed. And the guy that plays Voxel 
is happy because he's made it into the league. So like it's showing how useless it all is. They don't see it that way, but I feel like on another level for us as the reader, that like disillusionment and the bad taste in your mouth, I feel like that's mm. what he's trying to convey of what it's like to live in a dictatorial society. It's like he can't exactly say it because well, people in Cuban society probably thought they were doing pretty good under Castro, even if like it was just compared to other people who are doing even worse. But for us, like how much despair he probably feels or disgust at their certain things, he can show it to us. And I read it's like art isn't necessarily, especially writing, is not necessarily like a mirror to reality because like nobody speaks this way. And obviously in sci-fi, this isn't real, but it's somehow showing you something that's true, even though it's not real, if that makes sense. It's like a weird dichotomy that doesn't, it's not real, but it speaks truth to a lot of things that he sees. And it speaks to us based on like the emotion that his writing makes us feel. Yeah. I mean, so um, in the couple interviews I read from Yas, he is like almost an adversary of realism, right? Mm -hmm. So like someone like Cormac McCarthy, he would loathe. Um, And the like, you know, serious literature, quote unquote, is realist, right? Like science fiction is not considered real literature. And and Yoss gives, he's very um, upset about the idea that like science fiction isn't considered for awards and things like that. Um, But he wants to, uh, you know, like, I think he does speak to a reality in a way that other writers can't, right? Who try to write realism. Um, because his, I mean, his world is comical, right? We made fun. I, I was upset with the three body problem mainly because it didn't, um, it almost tried to be realist without delivering on that fact. But yeah. Yoss's, mm-hmm. Yoss's book is so, it, it's so over the top, right? Like it's so bombastic that I'm not even upset that, you know, there's just glaring plot holes, right? Like the concept, like the idea that there's health insurance, like, like resurrection insurance, is it like from a intergalactic alien federation is like laughable. Like that's not a thing that would occur, but like, I don't really care because, because the whole thing is kind of a, a carnival. It's, it's like a fun house, you know, everything's a little bit too big or a little bit too wide. Um, and now you can relate so I, to the characters more, even though his yeah. world is far more outlandish, the characters are a lot more human. And mm. uh, using the, the extreme in the comic as like a literary device is a really good way of uh, like developing whatever plot or points you want to make be- mm. because it allows you to like create the, uh, the, I guess the environment where like people would feel the things that the, the characters feel or experience like these kind of uh, grand intense things uh, in a way that's like digestible. Yeah. And it's so far from reality that he's completely reconstructing it so that we're just getting a certain emotion from it. Yeah. Like obviously voxel doesn't exist, but I was still excited to read about the game, which is like good, good writing. And I think that like, why this is so strong and why three body problem is so weak is that this knows exactly what it is 
Like his writing style is like very sure of himself. Um, mm. To and as it should be, it's just like it's rock solid. It's but I think Three Body Problem presented itself as one thing, but was unable to be that. And I think that was its biggest weakness. Um, like this, this honestly reminds me a lot of of uh, Kurt Vonnegut. I feel like he totally dude. I don't know if he, yeah, I get them. I just like yeah. assume he's a big fan of Kurt Vonnegut. Maybe he's not, but um. I'd be surprised if that's not the case. And I, I think he's a little more serious than Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and maybe a, it, serious? You think? I thought. I think Kurt Vonnegut uh, is significantly more serious. Serious than like his, like what he's going for. Uh, maybe. What not, do you mean he, by that? I don't know. It seems like he takes art more seriously than Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, art for sure, right? But like the writing is definitely less serious. Vonnegut was like almost like sentimental with his like how over the top he was about the i don't know the rottenness of human existence whereas like i've laughed out loud several times this book because things are so ridiculous but i think that's what makes it good is that it's like outlandish and somebody that has seen like all that despair all that people just giving up for money or sex or whatever it's like you have to be tongue-in-cheek about it because it's just so dark that like he's almost hiding it through the caricatures the book doesn't feel frivolous to me at all and sometimes mm. Vonnegut's books feel frivolous to me um frivolous or just like unnecessary i mean that <laughs> was my impression i had a a compendium of his books and like you know, Slaughterhouse Five and um, God bless you, uh, Mrs. Rosewater were excellent. I think yeah. I'm trying to. The Cat's Cradle was also quite good, yeah. but like there was a couple of the other ones were just like. I mean, I've read it. I've read. I've read enough Vonnegut, right? Like he doesn't mix it up at all. He has the same basic point he wants to make. He constructs a very non-compelling universe, whereas like Yoss, like his universe just gets more and more exciting the more you read about it. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I've so I've uh, to, to full disclosure, I've read <laughs> every single book Vonnegut's ever written. Uh, I was really into him. Oh, you think you're so cool? No, no, I'm not <laughs> saying that. But I was really into him when I was in high school, and like mm-hmm. I found it really relatable in high school. But like as an adult, I don't at all. Maybe I should revisit it and, and see if that's the case. But uh, I'd revisit it. I mean, I read it um, like three years ago, and I found. I think Vonnegut writes a really good novel. He just kind of writes the same novel over and over again. Cat's Cradle is kind of the exception. Also, Slaughterhouse Five is Cat's Cradle is uh, really good. I I always liked Mother Night. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it it just seems like Yas has like uh, much more purpose in his writing uh, to me. It, but maybe I, yeah, I don't know. That's it moves more. You know, it's not all it, it, the whole, um, there's no motion in Vonnegut stories, really. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why Slaughterhouse Five is one of his best, is because it moves with like, uh, uses an interesting time mechanism to move things along. Um, Yoss does some, or does something, I guess it's just more common in like sci fi or fantasy where you're creating a whole fantastical world. Where, but I've noticed like a mark of a really good author. I first notice it in with Ursula Le Guin, where it's like, mm. oh, okay, the world's a little bit different. Like you got me hooked. There's this one little hook. It's like, all right, that's cool. That's different about the world. And then there's another one. 
and then there's a third one and a fourth one and like before you know it you're like 50 pages in and you're just sucked into the world and mm. in each story he introduces something new into his universe like the galactic laws and finding out that different species can also be body spares but they get like paid for it and they don't have their bodies abused like all those little additions keep adding it and making the story like richer and richer Hmm. i agree so i i want to i'm going to shift this to the what i didn't like about this book which was basically the beginning right um it was so disorienting um the first two stories especially the first one with buka and her um her alien uh whatever pimp or purchaser um john he just yeah yeah right john um it like there was just too much exposition all at once yeah i i had to write down in my notes like who what the aliens names were what their characteristics were you know what am i reading about um where they are right like it wasn't even that clear to me that buka was a human at first Mm. um and you know it it quickly you know, it's not like the worst thing in the world because the as you continue to read the story, you become more comfortable with his terminology. But I thought that it set it off on the wrong foot because, like, you just get distracted with, well, what the fuck is going on, period, with the book. Yeah, I felt that way until, like, the very, very end of the first story. Like, by right. the middle of the Death Artist, I felt pretty grounded in it. But yeah, in the first story, I was like, this is, uh, yeah. Too much jargon, too much exposition. It was just a lot all at once. I really could not agree more. I was going to say disorienting too. Um, But the thing that I thought was impressive is that I don't remember the moment when everything kind of started to click. Like, it's definitely disorienting at first. But like you were saying, Troy, like, you know, once you're 50 pages in, like, the world seems grounded and, like, makes sense to It made sense to me. Mm. Like, it happened so naturally like his ability his like world building ability without spelling it out maybe is a down a, a downfall or whatever in the beginning of the book but he's such a natural at it that it's like not noticeable like at at no point while i was reading this that was i thinking like oh this is a lot of exposition right um, Except for in the beginning, I assume, when he introduces every fucking race. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good point. I don't know. I just thought it was unnecessary. It was just clunky. You didn't have to do that. I mean, he clearly doesn't have to, right? Yeah, we could have only gotten like one or two of the alien species. Like, we didn't need all five of them. Although he does later introduce the mollusks. So, like, he does still introduce new ones later on. But, like, the main cast of aliens is all in the first like four pages yeah my favorite thing about the insects or i guess about any of the aliens the insects are my favorite aliens and they always choose four syllable names and the humans are always like oh wow that's such a beautiful name and they're like yeah we don't know what it means we just like the sound of four syllables (laughs) that part made me laugh (laughs) he's like yeah i don't know we just chose it randomly because it sounds kind of cool in our language (laughs) oh lord yeah, there's like a there's definitely a sense where maybe yeah, that's a good um good segue. So the aliens, what do we think about them? You know, like it seems they're also like um their representation is basically hedonistic and petty. Um 
there. You know, I mean, like uh, when Earth shot its extremely harmless nukes right to the Galactic Federation or whatever, they the response from the aliens was to sink Africa, all of and just <laughs> yeah, just destroy the whole continent. Um, and the nukes were basically no threat to them at all. So you know what. What are, I mean, aliens are probably whatever Westerners, I guess, but like, why so, why so flat in a way, right? Yeah, that was one of my criticisms of the book is that all the aliens are, or it's kind of tropey in a lot of sci-fi. And it also reminded me, I don't know if you guys ever played Mass Effect, those video games. I got a lot of the same vibes where it's like, oh, the beautiful aliens. Oh, the big hulky ones. The ones that are really smart. The ones that are really rich. And they all have like one or two traits and that's it. Which, I don't know, I guess I can give that a pass in this book since it's more about humanity's role and what the interaction does to humanity. But yeah, all the aliens are just very callous and evil. (laughs) Like, they're all capitalists. They're all, well, most of them are... The humanoids are good looking anyway, but like all of them are just terrible to humans, like no differentiation at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the aliens are a little bit weak, but I give them a lot of leeway because I think they're all stand-ins for, you know, different types of foreigners he's met. Um, And like I said before, the whole construction of the world is, it's goofy almost so it's hard for me to uh criticize his world construction because the point wasn't to create some sort of coherent ultra um i guess as realist as you could be as a science fiction writer world um everybody is a little bit just uh over the top yeah which is perfect for the book i I, I kind of I kind of like that they're they're tropey. They're almost like fairy tale villains. Because mm. sometimes I think yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like sci-fi in this vein is not dissimilar from fairy tales. Um, and I don't mean that like as a dig at all. I think like these familiar tropes are things that we are used to hearing, and that like they're very useful uh, tools for conveying like your story. Uh, mm. It, it makes it makes a book better to digest and uh i don't know he at least while the aliens don't have a ton of personality like their different little quirks are they do have reasons why they are the way they are like the setians are the most beautiful but they're also the most aloof because they can see like 80 different colors and they can hear like a hundred and different 120 different tones so it's like mm. their vision of beauty or their ability to be so exact makes sense so like even if all right they're the pretty and they're the vain ones he like at least gives it a reason as to why mm. that's true i did like the exposition about when the artist goes to um nindago <laughs> i want to say ninjago but that's like whatever i don't know some mass marketed kids thing but that that city of Setians um, where the artist is there and he's talking about how, you know, Jao would really appreciate the city, right. For like its aesthetic beauty. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, um, you know, when he, he defends humanity by its inferiority, you know, saying that because humanity can observe 
things partially and imperfectly, they can uh, appreciate the aesthetics of the things around them where the Setians only see imperfection and like a lack of ideal. And I thought that was a, I thought it was a little, you know, a little interesting philosophical add-on, you know, where we can appreciate the beauty in things because um, we don't expect them to be perfect. Yeah, I thought that's the Death Artist was the most philosophical story so far. Like talking mm. about the perfect beauty, but they don't see it that way because nothing's ever good enough for them. And then, of course, the whole philosophy about the artist literally killing himself for his work. But only to rise again. Only to yeah. how how fucked up weird like how weird would it be if like your expectation was like okay I'm gonna die but I have health insurance so I'm gonna be resurrected. I mean it's terrifying the the fact that he talks about how he experiences death. Right. Ugh. It comes back. Yeah, and I mean yeah. <sighs> They also bring it up, though, like different ways that humans interact with it. The uh, the Japanese vocal player or voxel player, he mm-hmm. like is all honorable Bushido, um, just does it for the love of the game. But everybody else is like, yeah, whatever, dude, like your family's in the planetary tourism agency, like you're loaded. You can just be revived. Doesn't matter. So honestly, his like code of honor really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's all just for show. Yeah, he commits suicide for show. At yeah, the that's end right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he commits uh, seppuku. Yeah, which is badass. All right, fam. Um, do you guys have any like last last minute add-ons? Any other things you want to bring up? No, no I was just really struck by how similar these aliens are to, uh, or like the different categories of them are to Mass Effect, that video game. Like, there's almost a one-to-one. Each alien has a similar species. Obviously, this one is a lot more fleshed out, and he also wrote it before those games came out, so good on him, I guess. The tropes have been around for a while. Maybe maybe Mass Effect was based off of Yas. We don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. I. That's one thing. I... I uh... You could you could have fooled me that he had written this so long ago. If the dates obviously weren't included, like like it feels contemporary. Yeah, it definitely does. Which I don't know what that says about today, but right. Oh, I did. I can bring it up next time. Just sci-fi no, and its role in like as art. Yeah, bring that up. Bring that up for the next episode. Yeah, because we got a whole nother week of this. Um, yeah, it's not going so anywhere. Yeah. I got thoughts on sci-fi. Um. I have sent out an email to Restless Books to see if I can get Yoss's um, some sort of contact information for him. Obviously, it's difficult to get a hold of him because he's in Cuba in Havana right now, but um, he does travel outside, um, outside Cuba, mostly to Europe. Um, but And... The interview that was done with him, it said it was translated from Spanish, but he kept talking about how his English was stretched during the conversation. So I feel like it was in English, Mm. um, which is uh, a good sign. Um, And he seems like a pretty cool guy. And I feel like if we are um, committed enough and really like go for it, um, then eventually if I continue to send emails to restless books, they will eventually respond to me and l- at least let me reach out to the guy so I can uh, see if we can get an interview with him, which would be 
fucking cool. I mean, I last week we already talked about going down to the Florida Keys, renting a boat, and just hopping ship. <laughs> yeah, let's go find the dude. Let's That'll just, be... Oh, man, guys, we can vlog you, our way there. If you want to, I would 100% go to Cuba to try to meet this guy. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I've wanted to go to Cuba for so long. I seriously looked into it when we very briefly had the option to but then they put all the restrictions back in place but we can, but we can go, go to, canada, to canada, canada right yeah right dude i I'm, I'm not kidding i would love to plan cuba trip i'm literally adding it to my hell yeah man list, i've so. literally for like seven years wanted to go to cuba but it's tough it's tough to get in there and then go to fucking canada yeah, we'll go to Canada and then we'll go to Cuba and our goal will be to find Yas and we'll we'll vlog it. I mean, it's not going to be hard to find. The dude literally looks like an 80s hair rocker. Yeah, it's true. We just got to find uh the his bio had his band. So if we 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 can find shows with his band. Yeah, go see him on tour in Havana. That'd be tight. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um all right, so we are reading the next half of the book, um, Planet for Rent, for next week. If you would like to leave a voicemail, um, our phone number is one nine seven eight two five five three four zero four. It has been lovely. Uh, it's been a lovely conversation as always with Alex and Troy, and um, we will. Um, you'll hear from us next time we can upload next. It's uh, you know, we're winging it right now because of the whole coronavirus thing. So I hope all you guys stay inside and stay safe. Um, if you have, you know, we're planning on getting some sort of infected boomer into our apartments soon so we can lick them and get the disease and become immune. Um, but until that happens, uh, we are quarantined. So doesn't one of your neighbors have it or somebody in your building? Yeah, the back of our building. I think one of the kids got it, and that probably means the whole family has it. But they don't use any of the same common spaces as we do, and nobody has shown symptoms thus far. So I think we're all right. I mean, you could go lick that kid if you're looking for somebody to lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I want to lick adults. <laughs> like, that's kind of that's where I'm at right now. That's a fair parameter. <laughs> Must be 18 or older. I'm no Afghani. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a good night. Night, everyone. Bye.